Hey there, friends. Before we get into today's episode, I wanted to extend an invite to our new Collaboration Zone Zoom call starting July 1st, running every second week. This is a free Zoom chat get together with all of my entrepreneur friends in the Rise and Recovery Network, where we get to share mind and business growth tips and strategies, and you get to network with other entrepreneurs of all experience levels. So if you want to level up your business and get connected, book your spot today. Just head on over to www.theroadforward.ca slash collaboration zone. When we recover, we are returning to a normal state of health, mind, or strength. We begin the process of regaining control over something that was lost. Welcome to the Road Beyond Recovery podcast, and my name is Tamar, your host. Have you ever felt like you were meant for more? Well, I help people discover their purpose so they can follow their passion and realize what they are truly capable of. My mission is to empower people in recovery to embrace their authentic selves, live up to their true potential, and answer the question, what lies beyond recovery for you? Hey guys, thanks for joining me. Tamar here from the Road Beyond Recovery podcast. I'm going to be your host for this adventure, and what an adventure it has been. I'm really excited. We are nearing our first of many collaboration zone Zoom calls, which starts on July 1st. And I'm gonna be alternating time zones, but we're gonna do a bit of training in there. We're gonna do a speed connection round where you get to introduce yourself, what it is that you do, and the services that you provide. And of course, you can ask for connections that will help you grow your business, allow you to get feedback from the rest of the group. And then at the end, these are voluntary, of course. We're gonna be doing a hot seat, so it gives you a chance to share with the group something you're working on, maybe you need some support on and some ideas, or we're gonna be doing a member training, which is you being able to showcase your skills So make sure you sign up. Uh, These episodes will actually be, or these recordings will be um, uploaded as a podcast episode. So this is your chance to shine. So make sure you come join us for the community and collaboration at theroadforward.ca slash collaboration zone. Again, that was www.theroadforward.ca slash collaboration zone. I hope to see you there. So let's get into today's episode where I chat with my friend Sean Gay from Addicted to Life. He shares his incredible story of overcoming addiction and how it has allowed him to discover his purpose. You know, we talk about why he started um, Addicted to Life and we also talk about, you know, who gives out addiction advice because I know that in my journey, it's been a lot easier to work with someone who has been in my shoes. So we talk about how he wants to bring more awareness to that and how he now helps others. We also talk about his podcast as well as sober golfers. So if there's any golfers that are listening, you are not going to want to miss this. And I know that especially now because the world is starting to open back up again, um, you're probably going to want to get involved in this. So make sure you stay tuned till the end of the episode. Enjoy. Welcome back, everybody. I'm hanging out with my friend Sean Gay from Addicted to Life. How are you doing, Sean? I'm very good, thank you. How are you? 
I'm excellent. And thank you so much for being on the show. I can't wait to dig into your story today. But why don't we start off kind of just a brief introduction about tell us about yourself and what it is that you do today. So Sean Gay, 34. I live in Wimbledon, where they play the tennis. Um, yes, I do play tennis, but not to any good standard. Um, and today I am a personal trainer and a counsellor. So I specifically um, do the things that helped myself through addiction, um, but helping other people through sort of weight loss and using really a good combination of fitness and talking therapy through counselling. Um, because they're incredibly powerful to to help people through any sort of problems. Um, but obviously, with my background, I try and specific, specifically do it towards people in addiction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's much needed today, that's for sure. So I know, you know, myself growing up, a lot of people face trauma, um, you know, and then turn to addiction. But for me, it wasn't the case. You know, I had a really good upbringing, a great childhood. It was because I just reacted differently to drugs and alcohol. What was like life like growing up for you? Sounds similar to you, to be honest. Um, two loving parents. Um, I question their sanity for all the crap that I put them through numerous times. Um, but yeah, I had a really good upbringing. Um, really lucky to live in Wimbledon, really nice area. Um, always had every, had everything. I was an only child. Um, people can read into that what they want. Um, but no, like generally growing up, bullied at school. Like my surname doesn't really help, to be honest. <laughs> um, I think the guys when I was in rehab just said it was really unfortunate uh, set of circumstances. So my, my case is not your typical um, anything traumatic. I was adopted at birth, but I don't think, to be honest, my therapist kept bringing that up. But because it was literally two days in, I've always known about um, the adopted parents. Um, I don't I don't think that ever had any waiting, but sometimes it's more of a subconscious thing where you have sort of abandonment issues without realising it. But no, no, nothing like my upbringing has been brilliant. Um, nothing I can sort of say, where, whereas other people's stories might be a lot more traumatic. Mine's, mine really isn't. Yeah. And I can, that's, that's one thing I always like to point out whenever I'm a guest on other people's podcasts or getting interviewed is that it doesn't always start that way, right? A lot of people think it does. And for some of us, it's just, it becomes an out, right? We just, we start drinking, we start using, and then all of a sudden we just can't stop. So when did that start for you? Did it start in your teens or when you were a young adult? So I think I'm quite lucky that I have 17 years of experience telling me that it was the same pattern regardless. So for me, I started drinking when I was 14, sort of it was normal for groups of friends just to go to the pub at 14. Um, we didn't even need IDs then. I mean, this was back in the day before they even bothered with that. Um, and then, yeah, it just sort of grew from there. Um, I would always be blind drunk, wouldn't know where I was, parents picking me up from all ages up to about 28, I think, rather embarrassingly. Um, but yeah, it's and food has always been a big thing as well. So when I think rehab really helped me because I went to an Overeaters Anonymous 
And that made me realize that actually my addiction started before picking up that first drink. It was actually in food and being bullied, I think, turning to food and being half Italian. Um, you sort of get masked being Italian that you just eat a lot. But actually, I was comfort eating all the time. Um, so it was actually one of the most eye opening anonymous meetings I went to was Overeaters Anonymous. I'll be honest, I sort of chuckled before I went in there because I had no idea that I would relate to anything. But then people started talking about their past, etc. And it just clicked. It just made sense. And I think cross addictions is something so big. I Food is for me as well. It still is something that it's a challenge because it's the only thing that I use to comfort now. You know, I don't, I've gotten rid of energy, energy drinks because I actually went from drugs and alcohol to fitness addiction. And I dove in in my first year of sobriety, I lost 75 pounds, but I was working out seven days a week. I was eating yeah. chicken, broccoli and rice every single day. So yeah. it's a real fine line. So I like how you pointed it out because for me, it also started off with food. So, you know, as a young adult, when did things start to get bad? Because you have quite the history. I mean, you traveled everywhere. Um, you know, I, I going through your story, I just, you know, I know we don't have time to talk about it all, but when did things start to get really bad for you? It all just seems to happen very quickly. Um, I, I don't know, being a typical bloke, my ability to talk about my emotions, I don't think I knew how to. Um, so I was like, I, I don't like to generalize, but at university, the drinking, I think it's similar around the world is it's very boozy. Um, so my first time away from home was just getting drunk. I got drunk every day for 365 days in my first, first year. Um, no surprise, I almost failed my first year. Um, but I think that was the beginning where there were numerous nights where I wouldn't remember anything. But because there were enough people doing it, it was normalised. So I never understood under that environment that actually maybe there was an addictive tendency um, because no one ever wants to admit they've got addictive tendencies. If someone said that to me, I remember an ex saying that to me when I was 21, and I was just like, no, I don't have any addictive tendencies. And then 10 years, well, 12 years later, I'm there messaging her saying, yeah, you were right. <laughs> now, you also tried to run away from it, right? Because you traveled, you went to Thailand, you went to Australia, you went to South Africa. And was that just, you know, thinking, okay, well, if I change location, things are going to get better? Yeah, so Thailand was an interesting one. I was getting chased uh, for drug debt and I just needed to get out of the country to avoid potentially any of the ramifications of that which is a real problem for a lot of people trying to get out of addiction um, I didn't want to speak to my mum and dad because who wants to know that their son's in 10 grand of drug debt they don't so I went out to Thailand to learn Muay Thai which is funny enough what I now train people to do um, at beginner level because it's great fitness great stress relief um, I went out there managed to bust my ankle after about three days and then found a cocaine bar so wherever I went I mean wherever I went even the smallest remote island in Thailand still had cocaine and beer and all the other things that I was trying to run away from so that was my first experience in 2016 but I came back 
it gave me the courage to speak to mum and dad at least. Um, so they paid everything off um, and that got rid of that problem, but then sold the house, had the money from that and then decided to try and turn professional at golf at the age of 31. But I think realistically it was more of a just, I need to get out of the country. That just sounds like a good excuse to do it. Um, and the money from that, I was just in a bad place mentally still. Um, I hadn't, I've been to see a counsellor. She was pretty useless. Um, over in the UK, we have the NHS, which is just the government funded um, hospital sort of service, which is brilliant for a lot of things, but trying to get addiction counselling from someone who's never been through addiction. And she was saying about, um, I could either stop cocaine or reduce my consumption. So looking back at it, that's really bad advice. And half the reason why I do counselling now, because I don't want people to be given bad advice. I want them to go and speak to a few counsellors, make sure they know and trust the one that they want to do, and then get proper advice. Because I think that wasted a couple of years of my life travelling, doing a geographical, as they used to say in the old uh, step meetings. Um, but yeah, I, I went there and I, I knew that there was, spiritually, I was still dead. Um I was still drinking, still drugging, because it doesn't matter where you go, it still follows you. And all the people that I was attracting was in, in and around pubs still. So that was my comfort, was to go to the pub. Um, but then there are all the drug dealers, etc. in those pubs, even in Australia and, and even in Cape Town. It seemed to be everywhere in Cape Town. <laughs> wow. And, you know, when did things get really bad? When did you finally realize, like, I have a problem and I got to turn my life around? So it was January the 2nd, 2018, where I'd literally, I had a lot of money from a house sale. Um, and I sold the house just to pay the drug dealer off and because there was a bit more debt. Um, and just to get out of it, because it just held so many bad memories of a lot of dead friendships where they're always using uh, my flat just as an excuse to come around and do drugs. So for me, that was like a clean start. Um, yes, I did that and then came back from Cape Town in the April 2017, started working back in investment, sort of finance industry again, um, and then all the stress came back on and then December, I passed my probation and then a week after passing my probation, I then managed to get my private medical insurance to put me into my rehab, um, which I'm very grateful for uh, because that was about a 30 grand stay at the Priory, but I needed the professional help then. Um, I literally saw every single penny in my bank balance go, uh, looking at potentially being, I was a day a day or two away from being homeless, um, dragged mum and dad through enough stuff already by then. Um, and I was just mentally, well, I was bordering paranoid schizophrenic, um, usual drug addict, crawling around the house for six hours trying to make no noise. Um, I wasn't socialising, it was all on my own by the end. Um, so it wasn't much of a life, and I was consciously aware of this for years uh, leading up to that point. But I think everyone has their breaking point. I'd even been I'd been put in hospital um, with hemorrhaging eyes um, two years before that, and even that wasn't enough to, for me to stop. Um, so it's crazy. Like I'm very grateful that nothing physically or mentally came out of that situation but that was the start of the recovery was finally getting the help 
um, that I needed with a 28 day stay, uh, being locked away in a psychiatric unit, basically. Wow. Now, I know that for myself personally, there's a lot of people who had asked me, you know, like, you got to stop doing this. What are you doing? Do you believe the same thing? Like, had somebody tried to reach out to you sooner? Do you think you could have stopped or did you need to hit your own kind of bottom where you stopped digging and you made that decision that enough was enough? I can't live this life anymore. I think looking back, there, there are a couple of people that said um, and there are also a couple of people that distanced themselves from me um, and they potentially did help um, because although a lot of people say you can't tell someone in addiction um, that they're addicted because they have to reach their own rock bottom, I think you can definitely help facilitate a quicker rock bottom um, whilst having the support mechanisms around. But I'll be honest, I don't think the support mechanisms were there. I don't think the friendships were strong enough. I don't think the friendships really cared because no one came to really see me in rehab. And once I got sober, I haven't really spoken to pretty much 85% of my old friendship group. Um, the ones that cared have stayed around and they've generally cared since, since I went in. Um, and I think that was one of the biggest lessons I learned is that you, you are the average of the five people you hang around with. And my slips, because I, I admitted I had a problem in 2016. I then had the NHS counselling, which was rubbish. But those people that I told, all those sort of drinking friends, were still doing it. And then I just kept doing it with them all the time. Um, they could see the state I was in, but they were in no fit state themselves to detach from because they, they're all addicted as well to some extent um, because the friendship groups were doing similar things all the time. Um, yeah, so I think it's eye-opening because my friendship circle is very small now, whereas before I would have obsessed and I would have thought, why don't I have more friends? Now I couldn't care less because I've got enough going on in my life that I don't have to sit there and worry about the text message from this person or that person. Um, and then when I need to talk to someone, I just speak to them. Yeah. And you nailed it. Like the people, it's the quality of the friendships you have. I know I've had friends in my life since I was younger and I got that tough love from them. You know, I, I got that. My dad did the same thing. He didn't enable me. And I think that allowed me to kind of, you know, hit my point of stopping to dig my way to a, a bad bottom because it could have been much worse. But Definitely, I think that tough love really helped kind of push that forward a little faster than had people just kept saying, oh, it'll be okay, you know, that kind of thing. But um, I love how you, and you touched on it before with your counseling, a big part of your motivation for starting Addicted to Life was to change, you know, who and how they give advice. Because I have a counselor as well, and she is in recovery. And the fact that I can talk to her and she, I know she gets it it's a huge part of my recovery and why I've been able to do so well in opening up and being vulnerable. Can you talk about that a little more? Yeah. So like I'm, I'm three and a half years sober and I, I was always under the impression when I was in AA, um, NACA, I, I went to a few of them that it was a hierarchy of, um, sobriety, but whereas I did the step work, I was also doing self-development work. Like I pretty much got addicted to listening to podcasts and reading books. I've never read so many books in the space 
of two years. But in that time, I've just gone to bed early. I've exercised. I've done all the things that I wasn't doing. And I've been able to see across the spectrum of being sort of suicidally depressed on January the 2nd, 2018. So two years after having achieved so much in my personal life, um, the difference that all the changes make. And in, in terms of the counselling, I have my own addiction therapist um, from rehab. So I can compare him who'd been through addiction to the counsellor who hadn't been through addiction. And the difference in understanding, it's not that a counsellor does a lot. All they do is ask you the right questions. Those right questions are the powerful questions that enable you to think in a way that you would never think about a particular situation. And from that, you can then take the action on it. And then that becomes your sort of way out is you understanding yourself better, increasing your own self-awareness. Um, so counselling for me, I always say to clients, if they come and see me, I say, go and speak to two other counsellors. If it's addiction specific, make sure they're addiction specific counsellors. Doesn't necessarily have to be, have gone through recovery um, because if they've got a wealth of knowledge of helping other addicts, then I'm not going to say don't see them because they haven't been through addiction. If they've got a record of helping people through addiction, go and use them. Um, but I think with the NHS, we're, we're sort of forced if we don't have the money to go privately and there's no information. No one knows what to do when they admit they're an addict. You ring your Jeep, your local doctors and they say, well done, you've made the first step, which is a bit patronising. Um, most people probably then don't ring the drug um, local drug team that they need to ring in order to get their, their assessment. Um, so it's, it's a very strange process um, and one that I'm hoping with my business and talking about my story helps people not necessarily say they're an addict, but just come to me with whatever mental health issue they have or fitness issue, like obesity is huge as well, um, and just feel more comfortable that I've been through all these things that they can use my services in a similar way. Absolutely. Now, what did, I mean, you're still, you know, you're a few years into recovery, but what did those early years look like for me? Because I know I had to do a lot of work on myself. And, you know, I also did the 12 steps. And I think that that really helped me because it allowed me to build that foundation and then discover that this wasn't something that would harm my future. It would actually be you know, I, I call it my um, sobriety is my superpower now because I, I wouldn't trade any of it in for the world because it's an experience that I have that I can use to help other. But were you resistant to that change when you first came into recovery like a lot of people are? No, I, I wasn't. So I went into rehab wanting to change my life like 100%. I said, look, I'm a sponge. You tell me what to do and I'll do it because my life was suicidally depressing <laughs> at the end of the day anything was better than having thoughts about killing myself yeah um so from that point of view i was in a good place i actually felt comfortable going into rehab and it was the strangest strangest group of people um I, i'll ever remember so that's ingrained and that's where my motivation comes from um still in touch with a few of them as well actually to be fair um but yeah that 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 was that was my motivation um for it i i didn't I went there just saying, look, literally tell me what I need to do and I'll do it. Because I said to myself on the 2nd of January when I was woke, woke up after a heavy Christmas, was like, if you put half the effort in uh, to changing your life around as you did 
to being a drug addict, then you're going to lead a very successful life. Not necessarily successful as I as I knew it as an investment consultant, where I'd have a big house, good-looking girlfriend, nice car, because I sort of had all that, and it, I wasn't happy. That was half the reason why I was doing all the drugs and all that, because I got to that position, and there was me thinking I should be happy, but I was so far from it um, that all the alcohol and drugs just kept masking all those emotions that I didn't really want to talk about. So when did you finally discover that you'd found your purpose? Because you're doing a lot of things and we're going to dive into the sober golfers and the podcast stuff. But what was that moment you finally discovered, like, this is what I want to do with my life? So a year and a half um, back in, I was sober at the financial company I was working for. And it was just so like literally the word soul destroying makes so much sense because I, I had a spiritual awakening when I did my 12 step program. And that is the thing that I'll always be grateful for because it's given me uh, a sense of life that I would have laughed at back in my pub days. Um, I would have called a person if they said they had a spiritual awakening, all sorts of horrible words. Um, but that, that's exactly what happened. It was just like a switch web, all about the ego. The ego was driving so many of my bad decisions. Um, and it wasn't because I was a horrible person. It was because of all these things that happened to me when I was younger. So my coping mechanisms was to drink and drug, but they're the things that fed the ego. Um, and this 12 steps is just a good, honest look at yourself. Um, and grateful for the sponsor as well, because the sponsor, um, no, I didn't talk about it too much, but he was a couple of years above me at school and he was a bit of a tyrant to be fair. Um, so I was just like, this is the higher power bit, which I got straight away when I went into the room. Some people get a bit freaked out by the higher power stuff. Um, I'm not necessarily into God, but I'm into the universe putting into place uh, things as they should be. But I just thought that that was a strange moment seeing he was two years sober and I thought he was in prison. So <laughs> um, I thought that that was my moment to ask him as a sponsor. This was in Cocaine Anonymous, so we went through that in about 30 days. But because I was in that sponge-like moment, I just soaked it all in and I did everything, like, truly, honestly. Um, there was no trying to lie about anything. I completely understood that I needed to give up alcohol. I pr probably knew that a couple of years before going into rehab, to be honest. Um, yeah, and, and that was my... My spiritual awakening just sort of gave me a realization that I needed to leave the finance world um, and start doing what I was passionate about, which was golf. So golf is huge for me, huge in my recovery as well. Um, I don't know where I would be if I didn't have golf originally, because um, a lot of people don't have hobbies. Like their hobbies are in the pub or drinking and drugging. Like that is their hobby. So for me, I was very fortunate that. I already had a life that I could go back to um, and sort of start again with a clean slate and just do it sober this time. Well, and I think it's amazing that you've taken something that you had, you used to drink, right? Doing, um, for me, that was softball. 
And you've been able to do that sober now and not only do it sober, but you're also inspiring others to do it as well with sober golfers. So can you like talk about, you know, how you started that and where it is today? Because I think that's an amazing thing to do is is get people into what they love and realize that they can have so much fun sober. Yeah, this is the thing like golf is a very um, it's a great sport. Just being out in nature, you can have a good laugh with the people you're playing against. It can be competitive as well. Um, and you don't need to be drunk. You don't need to have all the after drinking that went used to go with it. Um, turning up drunk, throwing up after a couple of hours. <laughs> all, all, all the all the nightmare stuff that I used to do. But because I was trying to set up a golf travel business, which didn't work because by the time it sort of got set up, um, I partnered with two people I shouldn't have done. Again, finding all these things out sober, very stressful, but managed it sober did it all sober and you you sort of learn a lot quicker as well in sobriety um but yeah after that i went on a load of free trips with a load of other travel agents around the world playing golf at all these fancy hotels but the one thing i wasn't comfortable with is the fact that all these hotels would then try and plow you with as much alcohol and food to try and uh, win you over so you're more likely to sell their product um, to be honest, all the hotels were amazing anyway. But then I was just constantly being asked because the, tr the travel industry is very, very, very boozy. So for me to go along and not drink, people were like, whoa, like the f one of the French managers, uh, when I said that I don't drink wine, almost passed out because obviously that's almost rude to a French person. Um, so when I came back, that golf travel business stopped because all the planes were grounded on sort of 20th of March following news of COVID. Um, so then that put me back to the drawing board and I was just like, yeah, I'll just start sober golfers, see who else is out there that doesn't want to booze and see if I can carry on trying to do my golf tours and just connect people worldwide. So that's the good thing of COVID is that it's given me the idea to do sober golfers um, and we're 150 members in six months and that's through no real advertising, um, which is great. And it's all like-minded people. We've got golf days, etc. So once that starts building, um, it'd just be good to get as many people worldwide that are into their golf or even for people that want to get into golf, because that's the other good thing about sobriety. If you want to waste, I say waste, that's just the wrong word, isn't it? Um, <laughs> If, if you want to productively use your weekends and get into golf, because that's a good 12 hours where you're out in nature. Um, and we, we tend to get good weather for about three months over here before it gets cold again. Uh, but most other places uh, t tend to have uh, better weather. Yeah, we're, you know, we have a lot of rain too. I think uh, we're very similar uh, to the UK in that aspect is it's, you have to just get used to playing in the rain if you want to go golfing. But yeah. um I, yeah, you know what? And I think I always thought like when I first got th sober, I'm like, well, what am I going to do now? How am I going to have fun? Nothing is going to be the same. And I lost a lot of friends, like you said, but I also, I gained so much more. And one of the things that I, I, I gained was that spiritual side as well. <clears throat> and I think a lot of people get deterred when they do come into the rooms and they're like, oh, there's that three letter word. Like, and it's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> um, but I feel I feel so fortunate that now I've never had this much fun 
in my life, right? And doing these activities that, A, I actually remember. Like I, I went to Mexico, I've been probably about five times since I've been sober. And even though there's all this drinking around me, not one part of me, because I've created this life I have today, wants to go back there. I don't feel like I need to be part of it. I know that it's not going to be fun because, of course, the next day you can see the consequences of that all. So I think it's fantastic that you're actually, you know, starting something that's showing people like, hey, we can have a really good time here, and especially that it's worldwide. So we're going to put a link in the show notes so people will know if we have any avid golfers out there, they know how to contact you. But you have a podcast, too. Um, called Sober Heroes. What inspired you to start the podcast? Just that I wasn't going to AA meetings because <laughs> um, I'll be honest, I never found my group. Like I, I spend a lot of time around people who are in AA. Um, so although I'm not in AA, I get the vibes off like people I play golf with are in AA. Um, Sober Golfers has a lot of people in the various anonymous groups as well. So that sort of spiritual vibe still there. And that's enough for me. Um, I know that if I put myself around um, the right people, then that's going to be the best thing for me. Um, whilst being mindful of my addiction, because my addiction comes out all the time, overeating uh, is still huge. That's half the reason why I became a personal <laughs> trainer, just to try and burn it off. Um, but Sober Heroes was really to try and keep me sober um and just to give it a go like i love giving stuff a go now that the fear back in the day would have been so crippling i wouldn't have done the thing that i wanted to do i would have just gone and got drunk so now i actively just do things if i think that i could be good at them or i'm passionate about but at the same time it's been really good to listen to other people's stories um and just sort of see how what it just affects people in so many different ways um one person's alcoholic is not the next person's alcoholic. Someone who drinks at six o'clock in the morning when they wake up is not the same as someone who gets blind drunk three nights in a row over the weekend. Um, and that's the thing. It's just nice to highlight so many stories so that other people, like how I got sober, it's a different avenue for people to sort of say, you know what, I've listened to this podcast and I can relate to that person's story. Maybe I do need to go and get help. And that is the whole point of Sober Heroes is purely just if you think you might have a problem with alcohol or drugs um, or gambling is another one we did, then just listen to some of the stories on there. And I think it's the relatability, right, that gets us. I know that when I first listened to somebody share their story, it was like, wow, I, you know, I never I was a very functioning alcoholic towards the end there. And, you know, I'm like, well, I have the job, I have the marriage, you know, it's all crumbling, completely falling apart, but I had these things. So I didn't want to admit that I had an issue. And so I think that, you know, this whole recovering out loud thing, you know, how do you feel about that? Because I know there's a lot of stigma still around addiction. And that's one of the goals of this show is to really try to break that stigma because, I think a lot of people don't, they just don't educate themselves on addiction and recovery and realize that, like you said, if we could use half the amount of effort, right, that we did getting loaded and put that into something good, it's amazing how many people could actually change the world. So how do you feel about the whole like recovering out loud? Yeah, so for me, I, my, my attitude changed when 
I actually did this time last, well, no, May last year, I did a podcast for a friend who was a life coach. And I was just like, you know what? I'm proud of everything I've achieved in the two and a bit years up to that point. Um, and I just didn't give a shit what people think. I've been bullied pretty much my whole life. So I really don't care anymore to the point where I was suicidally depressed. Um, so for me, it's all in perspective now. While there, there's not me like, oh, I don't give a shit what people think. I'm a human being that is consciously in control of how I represent myself and my businesses as well. So I'm not trying to do it in a in a horrible way. Like, oh, I'm, a, I'm an addict and what it's. I've been through mental health problems. I use substances uh, to hide my emotions. I then got addicted to drugs. Why, why stigmatize me when mental health is now, especially in the UK, very open. People can relate so much to mental health because everyone goes through it. So why, why sideline addicts? We're, we're no different. All we're doing is patching up our mental health problems with uh, drugs, alcohol, and anything else that we can find to numb the pain. Totally. I love that. Now, Sean, if people want to learn more about what you do, where, where can they get a hold of you? So I'm on Instagram, um, the addicted coach. Uh, I'm on Twitter, addicted coach, uh, or addicted to life.co.uk is a forwarding address to personal training, Wimbledon.com. Um, that's my PT website for where I live in Wimbledon SEO and boring stuff like that's the reason why it's named like that. Um, but yeah, and then all, all my details are on the um, website and Instagram as well with Linktree on it as well. So I'm pretty much everywhere. <laughs> and we'll drop all of those links in the show notes. Yeah. So. Well, There's about 10 if you really want to do <laughs> Instagram and um, the, the website are probably the two, the best ones to get me on. Well, we'll publish a little uh, mini ebook for you. It's how to get a hold of Sean. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Brilliant. thank you so much, Sean, for being on the show. I really appreciate you coming on and sharing your story and just, you know, sharing that people can change and find their purpose out of their adversity. Yeah, thank you for having me on. Um, always good to meet like-minded individuals doing uh, recovery podcasts as well. That's right. Thank you so much. Well, that is it for another episode of the Road Beyond Recovery podcast. I hope you enjoyed that. And make sure that you get in on the action and come join us at the first Collaboration Zone Zoom call. You can sign up by going to www.theroadforward.ca slash collaboration zone. I look forward to seeing you there. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Road Beyond Recovery did you know that our dreams can become a reality? When you determine your purpose in life and you allow that purpose to guide you, anything is possible. It just takes action. Don't wait until you're ready. Start to create the life you were truly meant to live right now. I am super passionate about my mission to help people live up to their true potential. So if you want to learn more, check out my website at www.theroadforward.ca. And until next week, keep exploring what lies beyond recovery for you.